This show is brought to you by listeners and viewers like you. Our TeslaOwnersOnline.com community, EvanX.com Tesla Accessories, and our Patreon supporters at Patreon.com slash TeslaOwnersOnline. Really? We want this? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's been two or three weeks since we've done a podcast, so what's new? Is that long? Yeah, what? I know. Well, vacation stuff happens. Yeah, you had all sorts of fun vacation things going on. Mm. I uh, I did nothing. I, un- I unloaded about six and a half tons of composite decking the other day. That's about the most exciting thing that's happened to me in the last couple of weeks. Ah, so your project has begun. Eric was just telling it me has. offline that uh, he started his his project there with, the, with his patio mm-hmm. and stuff. So it looks like everybody's doing COVID projects. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it seems to be like this across North America. Like, I had to wait five weeks to get my materials. It's like, it's insane how that stuff is sold out anywhere you go. Like, the guys at Home Depot were telling me, yeah, this is a record year for them. They've never seen anything like it. Um, because, yeah, people are stuck at home. So, what do you do? You improve your home. And thank God we're so lucky in my industry because the number two thing it would seem after our home renovations is car renovations because ah. we're selling wheels like, we're breaking every record. It's it's crazy. And you would think that's kind of a disposable income thing and kind of an, you know, like a little kind of, it's not really a necessity, but holy cow, we're just going flat out. Well, that's good. It's, it's interesting because a lot of people are renovating their homes when you really can't get large gatherings into your home anyway. Yeah. And then you're getting your cars renovated, but you really can't go many places because <laughs> a lot of places are closed and they're discouraging yeah. travelers. Like New York State, if you're coming in from out of state, yeah. uh, a state like Florida, they make you quarantine for 14 days before you can venture off to Central Park. So, yeah, it's just interesting that those two yeah. industries are kind of on the upswing when ideally it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, good for them. Well, I think the home thing is because people are stuck at home, so they want yeah. to have a nicer home. You know, like it, it was like same thing with us. Like we want to be able to sit out in our backyard and we have this crappy old deck that's rotten now and we, we want to, you know, something more usable, something prettier. So we're doing that. Yeah. I think for um, for people with the cars, it's a toy thing. It seems to be there's a lot of people that are – because they can't travel, exactly to your point, they're, they're diverting it into other things. And apparently I've talked to people in um, the recreational vehicle industry and it's just nuts. Like a friend of mine wanted to buy a Sea-Doo. You can't even order one for the next two months. They're gone. The entire province's inventory is wiped out. Boats, the same thing. Motorcycles, same thing. Like name. I can't even get a bicycle. I was just about to say, yeah. Eric has been looking for yeah. a bicycle. Can't even yeah. get one. There you go. Yeah. Great, great example. All, all this kind of stuff is, you know, it's the travel indices or loss is, is these industries gain, it would seem. Hmm. But it'll be great when things finally do get lifted and people like us can travel to Canada. Uh, where yes. we have our cars will look great. Yeah. And we'll be able to host our friends and neighbors. And everyone's going, wow, your house looks great. Your patio looks great. Your living room looks great. You know what I mean? You I mean, like, 2020, 2021 might be a year of oohs and ahs <laughs> instead of ow. Oh, man, I hope so. Well, I hope so. I've had just about enough of 2020. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I was just talking to somebody else. It's, uh, this year is pretty much a write-off. But uh, but that's okay. We still have some Tesla news, which, uh, speaking of which, we should uh, dive into. Um, I know we haven't done a podcast in about three weeks because, you know, vacations happen and time and everybody needs a little bit of R&R. We're back to the grind now, and uh, we do have some Tesla news to talk about. And uh, we will get to listener and viewer questions. I want to say thank you for everybody who submitted their questions because we like those. It's one of our favorite parts of the show to do, and we'll get to that a little bit later. So first, the big news, the big news that's uh, broken this week, and we're going to dive right into it here. I'm going to bring up the article uh, on Tesla's website. 
Ta-da! Tesla has announced or announces a five-to-one stock split. So Tesla announced today, this was uh, published on August 11th, so a couple days ago, that the board of directors have approved and declared a five-to-one Tesla stock uh, common stock split in the form of a stock dividend to make stock uh, ownership more accessible to employees and investors. Each shareholder of record on August 21st, 2020 will receive a dividend of four additional shares for each common stock for each uh, share that they hold uh, to be distributed uh, after close on the trading day of August 28th, 2020. Trading will then begin um, on a stock-adjusted basis uh, on August 31st of 2020. So if you hold uh, shares, hold on, i got to bring this back. Whoop, there we go. Yes, yeah, so, uh, so for every common share that you have, you get four additional shares, uh, but the stock price will be adjusted, so five to one. It's kind of like, I mean, everybody online was saying, well, there's a lot of confusion, like, what's going on with my stock price and stuff? Well, it, you're basically exchanging a $100 bill for five twenties. You mm -hmm. still own the same amount of shares at the same value. It's just you get five more, but now it's been reduced. So, um, again, it, this is actually a good move, I think. Elon has said many times that he thought that the Tesla stock was too high and tweeted as such and, of course, got into all kinds of trouble for that one. Um, but uh, they also mentioned some time ago that they were talking about doing this um, at the shareholders meeting, which is being held next month. But uh, lo and behold, well, they're going to do it a little bit early, which is good. So I think it's good for retail investors. Um, you know, when you're talking the shares flirting at $1,500 a share, it gets pretty expensive to get into, right? Uh, right? Try sixteen fifty is what I was seeing today. Well, it did go up a, a, a something like between six and eight percent. It went up eight and it came down to about six after hours when they announced this. So, anyways, bottom line is that uh, if you want to get back into the stock game with Tesla, you know you can do it uh, on a more affordable basis. So, I think that's uh, that's good. Um, you know, by the way, go the ahead. talk of four twenty seems <laughs> Again? so long ago. I know. I know. Right, and now we're talking like sixteen fifty a share. Like it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, wow. good opportunity if you want to get back in. I don't know how the stock is going to fluctuate uh, this going forward. I mean, there's still talk about S and P five hundred inclusion, which, I mean, technicalities at this point. I, I think it's a technicality at this point. Um, mm -hmm. But I think you know, and Eric and I were talking about this offline uh, a little bit earlier that um, you know, for some people it's still maybe a too volatile stock, but maybe the S&P 500 inclusion would get that to settle down a little bit. Um, now you're playing with the big boys, you're gonna be there with the Amazons and the Googles and the Apples and, and the big guys. So anyways, keep an eye on that, but uh, good news on that front. Um, the second thing I wanna talk about this week, which is kind of breaking, it, it kind of, it, it, it popped up in the internet and kind of dissipated, but um, one of the uh, Twitter followers <clears throat> that I follow, Marco RP, had announced, and I'm going to bring up a photo here for those of you who's watching on YouTube. Haha, -ha. this, my friends, is a CCS to Tesla adapter, and uh, this was spotted in South Korea. Now, we all know that um, Tesla makes a Chatamo adapter, and they also make a CCS adapter for S's and X's in Europe, and it's a tiny little thing, sells for a couple hundred dollars. And everybody here in North America has been begging for a CCS adapter for like the longest time. Chatham was on its way out anyways. And lo and behold, uh, we see this adapter. Now, half the people on the internet kind of went, hmm, okay, so whatever, they got one in Europe. Here's the thing though. South Korea uses the same Tesla plug that we do. 
So to me, this indicates that they're in the testing phases of an adapter that could potentially come here. Now, based on the size of this thing, and I'll bring the photo up again for some of you who might to see it again, uh, it's not small, it's fairly large. Um, so that tells me there's electronics involved with this. <clears throat> so I would suspect the price of this thing will be in Chatamo adapter type territory. I think it's like 499 US or something like that. Um, someone did grab a screenshot of this of the car charging showing 57 kilowatts at 52% SOC. Um, I think this bodes well. I think a lot of people were saying, well, unless I get 150 kilowatts out of it, I'm not really interested. But the thing is, is that they're at 52 SOC, 52% SOC, and they're getting 57 kilowatts. I never saw more than about 36, 38 on my Chatamo adapter, which is rated at 50. So already it's already beating the Chatamo adapter. So we don't know the specs of it yet, but if it can hit 100, we're golden. I think 100 is is certainly attainable on something like that and uh, would go a long way. Yeah, okay, it's not going to be, you know, um, well, what's the CCS standard right now? I think most public chargers are maxing at about 150 kilowatt anyway. So, you know, if you get 100, I think that's good. So keep an eye on this. This this one got me um, quite excited because this is something we've been talking about for months and stuff. And, you know, if it wasn't for the South Korea thing, it would be like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. But uh, the fact that they use the same adapter that we do or the uh, connector on the cars, I think bodes well. Hopefully we'll see that within the next few months. I mean, the Chatham adapter, especially on the Model 3, even though it existed, took a long, long time for them to certify it, over a year. Now you can buy them, but not too many people are buying them because... Chatamo's limited at 50, and they're few and far between. Well, well, they're not few and far between. It's just that everybody wants CSS, CCS. So, anyways. Well, it, it theoretically should be capable of higher, no, Trev, because the Model 3s with the native CCS uh, port in Europe, I've seen them charging at like 190 or something like that off, off the CCS units. Like, I wonder what the restriction would be. The fact that you've got these extra plugs in there, that it's not, you know, direct CCS to CCS connector. Uh, are they going to have to throttle it a little bit? Because I would figure, why can't you get 200 out of it if, you know, if you can do that with the CCS setup on the Model 3 in Europe? Yeah, I think that's a communication. It's a regulatory thing. There's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, <clears throat> even though, like I said, we had the Chatamo adapter in North America for like the longest time. Uh, it took them a long time to, for them to... Um, uh, to get the software sorted out on the Model 3 and for it to be certified. So I think we're looking at a similar case of them making sure that everything works, get the software updated and all that stuff. And when that's done, then it'll just show up on shop.tesla.com and, and off you go at that point. So, But the fact that they're testing something oh, tells, me, yeah, tells me that uh, we're on the right track as far as that's concerned. So, All right, uh, moving on. Yeah, Elon might be... Dropping some hints here. I'm going to bring up the website, courtesy of our friends here at Tesserati. Um, Elon Musk drops cryptic Tesla Plaid Model S hint ahead of battery day. Um, uh, Tesla, hey, Elon went on uh, on Twitter and um, he started talking about Herb Tarlick uh, from WKRP. <laughs> For those of you old enough, remember that show. <laughs> Anyways, Herb had a, a habit of wearing plaid outfits much like uh, Don Cherry does here and if you guys know who he is on uh, Canadian hockey you'll understand that he's a he's a weird guy anyway um, he was uh, talking about um, D uh, WK uh, PR uh, WKRP in Cincinnati that was the name of the show 
And Elon noted in the tweet, he says, one day soon, I will wear this outfit. And he's uh, he's talking about plaid, of course. Now, for those of you who may not remember, uh, plaid is the name of the uh, code name for the drivetrain uh, on the Roadster and the upcoming SNX refresh. I'm going to put that in quotes until we see otherwise. So I think it's kind of interesting um, that he kind of tweeted something that I'm hoping to wear this sometime soon. There's been a lot of speculation that, and we've even talked about this on the show, that I think battery day is a perfect day for Tesla to drop the hammer and say, by the way, not only do we have all these new batteries, but this is what's going in the S and X. And by the way, here's the Plaid powertrain, at least demonstrate the powertrain, maybe in a mule or something like that. But may maybe, maybe they just pull the covers off and say, here's the refresh Model S. What do you guys think? Hmm not out of the realm of the possible <laughs> anything's possible so sure. any right anything with elon and tesla is possible um i i i, I would think that they wouldn't want to take away from some of the major announcements we think are going to be forthcoming on battery day it'd be great if they showed it but ideally the way to really showcase how great that car is is to have it on a track oh like, yeah to be able to give people rides and stuff like that um with the pandemic still currently ongoing, especially in a state that's hit hard like California, I don't think they would do that. So it may it may be that they might have some results to demonstrate on that day as a result of some of the new advancements with their batteries. Um, but I, I I don't know how there may be something. It's almost like when Apple goes one more thing, like there there may be something like that. But it would also would it would equally not surprise me if there was nothing. Regarding that announcement, well, Elon's it made it. Me. Elon's made it very clear that he wants people there because he has things to show. And to your point, Eric, about a track, guess where Tesla has a track? Hmm. At the Fremont factory, which is where they want to do this thing. So, true, true. I don't know. Perfect opportunity. They I were don't know. Doing... I think. I think. I think if they're if they're going to do something, it would have been something that's pre-taped. Uh, that they that they can showcase, you know, because their marketing team does a really good job of putting videos and stuff together uh, for the web and things like that. It'd be it'd be fine if they did that and then said, "Hey, so we've talked about this new technology. Here it is in this car. Here are the results of that test with charging rates and performance and et cetera, et cetera." So they they may be able to showcase it without actually having to really like hit the track and showcase it they might be able to just you know have done some testing just like when the um uh the you know the ga cars are basically ready to go like when they're like ready for production that's when they were you know seeing them on the roads a lot so i don't know we'll see yeah we'll see my personal opinion is like i said i think it's a perfect opportunity to be able to drop the hammer at the same time because i mean they're not going to have an opportunity to do any kind of new reveal or a public event between essentially now and the end of the year anyways they don't uh, i mean they're done introducing new cars as far as they're concerned so it could be a low-key affair but again he wants to do it in person so obviously there's something something's going down aside from seeing the battery cells that you know that they're going to be making and stuff that's that's part of the dog and pony show um at their um at their facility just around the corner there on uh what the heck is the name of that street there? Oh, I forget now. Cato Drive. Thank so, you very much. So a low a low key affair. Low key. Loki and Thor. Thor oh, dropped a hammer the with plaid. Have started. Mm. <laughs> nice. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on this one. Uh, we'll know more in just a few short weeks. And um, yeah, so uh, I would personally, I would really like to see a refreshed Model S and X. 
I, I did a video yesterday and you'll understand why. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, see, I'm more interested in an interior refresh than I am exterior performance. Like all, all that's great, but like it already, and we'll get to this topic a little bit later, but like how the S performs relative to the three X and Y. But I mean, it, it, it's just interesting. Like the interior has been a just a stale interior yep. for so long. It's a great interior. Don't get me wrong. But it's been the same thing for a long time. And I know that with Model Y now in production and seeing that they sort of took the DNA of the Model 3 and just, you know, made it a little bit more robust. Why Why is the SNX taking so long to do a significant refresh? It's interesting. Well, the scuttlebutt going around is that this was scheduled to go into production last year, the refresh, the interior. Um, yeah. got, and it got shelved. So it I was do, what Q3. It was Q3 19. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And that, yeah. that, that obviously did not happen. So anyway, um, I do believe it will happen. It's just a matter of when, uh, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to see exactly which direction it's taking, uh, Tesla's taking. I mean, you got the model three interior. It's the same thing on the model Y and lo and behold, and the Cybertruck's getting the same treatment. So that is mm -hmm. definitely the future and, and the direction they want to go. Again, it's just a matter of when, so maybe the timing might be right. All right, let's move on here. Another article courtesy of our friends at Tesserati. It looks like Tesla is expanding the dynamic brake lights to new markets to avoid rear-end collisions. Now, in a software update that Tesla released recently, um, namely 2020-32.1, um, they have a, um, a safety feature in European cars where it will quickly flash the uh, brake lights when you're applying when you're traveling over 31 miles per hour 50 kilometers uh, per hour and you're forced to sh uh, uh, to slow down very forcefully so they blank the lights um, however the article goes on a little bit later and say that this functionality will likely not be available in the united states for some time including canada uh, government regulations here indicate that brake lights are only to be allowed to glow brighter when then tail lights to indicate braking flashly flashing is currently prohibited mm -hmm. so I think this is a good thing. I mean, the, the amount of times you're slamming on the brakes, I don't know, but I think it's um, I think it's a good thing. And uh, they're going on to to, uh, to expand this in different markets, though. They don't really specify exactly which additional markets they're going out to, but um, hmm, what else here? Uh, they're saying here, according to uh, RothLawyer.com, the most common form of in injury in a rear-end collision is whiplash, which is caused by violent and sudden movements of the neck and the head. When this occurs... When this occurs, the soft tissues of the neck is damaged and can lead to chronic neck and back pain. Tell me about that. I know all about that stuff. So additional safety features uh, potentially coming in future cars. So it's always good to see that. All right. Just a little bit of news, not too much. All right. Uh, last week, I had some fun with my friends at the Throttle House. And we did a sexy race. <laughs> Kicking myself for not thinking of that one sooner myself. But anyways, my friends uh, Tom and James reached out and said... Do you know if there's any Model Ys in the Toronto area? Because we'd like to do a race of all the performance versions of the Teslas. So I helped them organize this and got a bunch of people together. So we went down to a track that has a, uh, it's an old airstrip uh, where we can do quarter miles very safely. And we raced all four of the current Teslas. So we had a performance Model S, a performance Model X, my Model 3 uh, performance, and a performance Model Y as well. And um, we didn't really record times quite so much as because we were looking at, you know, racing all the current cars. So as you would expect, uh, the winner of the race was consistently the Model S. Um, I think on the Tesla website, it's still rated at 2.3 seconds. 
uh, zero to 60. And I'll say that car is hella fast. Um, my Model 3 uh, kept up fairly quickly off the line, but that Cheetah Stance and Ludicrous, mm, you can't keep up with that. Anyway, um, was racing against the Model X, and from a dead stop, because of the Cheetah Stance, the Model X won by a nose compared to mine. And when we did a 50-kilometer roll, that's 30 miles per hour, and then stomped on it. Of course, the Model S went blue past us, uh, but I beat the Model X by about the same amount as he beat me the first time. Uh, Model Y came consistently in th uh, fourth place, but not that much farther behind. So it was neck and neck. I think the extra weight of that vehicle is not helping it on the launch. But otherwise, uh, plenty fast cars. We had a lot of fun. Later on in the day, um, they had some other friends show up with some GTRs and a GT GT3 RS, which is a Porsche. Anyways, the Model S was just, as far as I could tell, eating them for lunch. Um, even though that uh, the SOC was really starting to uh, to get down in the, in, in the day as we went. So anyways, a lot of fun. I'll put a link in the video description and the podcast description if you guys want to watch the, uh, uh, the video that those guys put out. And I did a vlog um, to show you a little bit of behind the scenes and we had some fun there. So any questions? I'd like to ask a question if I can. Yeah, sure. I have often found that the zero to 60 tests to me are an arbitrarily ridiculous metric to track for a vehicle because in a real world scenario, you're not at a dead stop and then all of a sudden having to go to 60 miles an hour. Cause you know, unless you're like the first car at a light or a stop sign and you want to be able to kind of get through, you, you typically don't drive that way. So like the rolling start where you're going from 30 to now having to quickly accelerate, that kind of yep. can happen. You're trying yep. to avert, you know, an accident or something like that. That makes more sense in terms of performance. Why for all the years we've been doing tests on vehicles, why so many folks harp on zero to 60, even now, like with the roadster coming out, we're doing a sub two seconds, zero to 60. My rationale is, and great. So you go really fast in a short period of time. So what? I, it, it's we know that EVs will outperform any standard gasoline vehicle uh, on a zero to sixty test because you get the instant torque from the motor once you uh, depress the pedal. Other than that, I, I just I don't know why we're, we're so enamored with zero to sixty tests. And and I know I know that it's it's kind of fun to play with them, but to me, you know, even as a person who talks Tesla on a weekly basis, I'm just like, so what? Like, what, what does it mean when there's other metrics to me that are greater defining what this vehicle really can do? I'll take a stab at that one. You're absolutely right. Go ahead. For the average driver, um, like car and driver and road and track have these metrics now. They have had for a long time. They're, they do basically, uh, I think it's 30 to 50 and 50 to 70 now are the comparisons. And what's interesting is if you think EVs are quicker and there's, you know, given a, a same category, like comparing a Model 3 to a, a standard 3 Series BMW, if you think it's quicker off the line to 60 miles an hour, it absolutely destroys it in these 30 to 50 and 50 to 70. Right. There's no lag. The car doesn't have to downshift. It's not waiting for the engine to react. It's just instantaneous. It's like literally a second and a half, boom, and you've jump that 20 miles an hour. So for EVs, it's actually a more compelling argument to show the 30 to 50 and 50 to 70. The problem is that's not what's in the public's imagination. You know, basically since the invention of testing and car magazines and hot rodding since the 1950s, the only numbers that matter to anyone yeah. are zero to 60 and quarter mile. And the other advantage of those is they're over long enough periods of time that you can see a substantial 
delineation between them. You know, when you're talking about cars taking five, seven, ten seconds to reach 60 miles an hour, or even better, a quarter mile, where like a super fast car is 11 or 12, and the average car is 15, 16, you can really see it. When you're measuring between 30 and 70, you know, 30 to 50 and 50 to 70, the differences can be so fractional that I don't think consumers will grasp it. You know what I mean? And the other thing too is it advantages cars, especially when you're talking about gas cars. It's like, well, this car happens to be able to do all of that in second or third gear, whereas the other car had a shift point. So it looks horribly uncompetitive. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough to get consumers to appreciate that, even though it's by far a much more relevant day-to-day statistic. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's a number of things, and this really could be any transportation vehicle. I mean, you could look at bicycles. Is a 24-speed bike, mountain bike, any better than a 21-speed? I mean, someone goes, well, it's got four more speeds, and it's or three more speeds. And it's like, Yes, but ideally it's what size tire. Like there's so many other variables that go into how something performs that looking at zero to 60 as a sole metric to me is a paltry way of looking at shopping for a vehicle because even if a vehicle, let's say, outperforms another car by a couple of seconds, like you said, most drivers don't drive like that on a day-to-day basis. So what benefit are you getting if, say, you have, say, five metrics you're tracking, one of them this car has got a blazing zero to 60, Mm -hmm. but the other four metrics are so paltry by comparison that you're actually better off getting the other car that's slower out the gate, but beats the other car in every which way. It's just, it's just an an interesting question because I I just, I've always for years thought about, and like I had a Honda fit. I don't care if the zero to 60 (laughs) was two hours. Am I going to be able to get to A to B? Sure. Okay, great. Um, It doesn't, it doesn't have to, you know, blow me away and, you know, make my head go back into the headrest and all of a sudden I have an indentation there for a couple of days. Like I'm okay with that. Let's just start putting Tempur-Pedic yeah. foam in every car now. We're so worried about zero to 60. Yeah, it's now, true. I, and, and you're right. I mean, you know, I, I can't remember how many tests I've read where, you know, especially when they do the comparisons between, you know, the four or five top performance sedans, whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, there's always the one, you know, it's got the 8,000 RPM red line going back to the, the days of the, the gas. Right. And I apologize for all this. <laughs> You know, like those cars would always nab the zero to 60 or the quarter mile numbers, but they were horrible in real life because they had these peaky little, you know, power bands at the top of the pack. You had to beat the living crap out of the car to get those numbers. Whereas, you know, the lower, you know, single cam, two valve motors were much torquier where, you know, bigger displacement motor was a little lazier. didn't give you the same performance, but it was much more pleasant to drive around on a daily basis. Uh, With EVs, we have kind of the best of both worlds, right? You know, basically any EV now in its category up to about 70, 80, 90 miles an hour will wipe the floor pretty much mm-hmm. its gasoline equivalent. I will say this. Um, there is an observation that I noticed when we were at the track, because we did have some gas cars show up and they were racing at, at one point, they were racing against a um, a, a Jeep chair. I forget which one it is, but it's, it's one of the Jeeps and it has a Hemi in it. Um, uh, yeah, Grand Cherokee SRT8. That's the one. Okay. So they were racing yeah, against this actually, thing. There's a, there's a super high performance one called the Trackhawk. Yeah. Uh, that's what this one was. But anyways, um, all, all the cars could be sitting on the line and you step on this thing. And some of these new high performance gas cars actually have a launch mode built into them now. Yep. And they're, they're flooring it and you can hear the engines retarding. Like it's, it's, it's like, you can hear it against the dry limber. And then they, they drop the hammer on it. But I mean, mm-hmm. the EVs are already gone and this guy's still spinning his wheels as they go. So we're starting to see it in the gas cars. But again, w- when it comes to, uh, you know, an EV that has uh, dual motors with excellent drive, you know, with uh, track control down to the millisecond uh, with no tire slippage, I mean, you're never going to beat them off the line. And every single 
single time. We have lots of drone footage of other cars just blowing past this thing. I mean, it's it's impressive because it makes lots of noise, but I thought it was an interesting observation that it had some kind of launch mode or something. I don't know what they call it, but it seemed to do that. Oh, that's... I'm just I'm I'm just often intrigued uh, by the number of performance owners, regardless of which vehicle trim it might be, but the majority of the performance owners who really aren't track drivers, right? Like to me, that's what the car should be for those enthusiasts who want to just take it out onto an open road, a stretch of highway, an old, uh, an old airstrip or whatever, and just like just have fun, you know, do donuts and all kinds of crazy things. So I know, I know, Ian. Um, if he had hair, would be like um, Nicholas Cage and Con Air, just like that. Yeah. That gif- <laughs> That would be Ian in a car, just be like salivating over what these cars can do. But I think most performance owners that I happen to know and have, you know, somewhat close relationships with, most of them don't always take their car out for track runs. They just enjoy the feel of the vehicle as a daily driver, which is it's interesting. How many performance owners don't really? you know, capitalize on what their car can do. In which case, why did you go performance if you're not going to use it that way? Um, when there's track mode and all these fun things that are exclusive to performance cars. So it's it's an interesting experiment. I think a lot of people just like the feel of my car can do this, even if their average commute is, well, I go to work at the bank and then oh. I go home to the grocery <laughs> store. You know what I mean? Like it's Ian drives it's seven minutes to work. He has to find excuses to go drive the thing. I, That's yeah. what I'm saying. Always, yeah. I'm always trying to get it under six. Um, but you're but you're a gearhead, Ian. I mean, you you for for decades you've been basically like this is only cars in your garage. Yeah. Oh no. And you know, I, I've worked in the industry for over 30 years and yeah. a lot of that was in retail. So I'd meet every car under the sun. And yeah, there you go. A lot of it's the mileage, baby. Um <laughs> You'd, you'd get everybody, you'd get the super hardcore, like, you know, track rats who are all about, give me the absolute fastest solution to this thing, you know, and they, they have the science down, you know, the the Sasha Anises of the world. Mm-hmm. And at the other end of the spectrum, you know, you had like the heavily gold chain laden disco dudes who were just like, you know, like, yeah, I just bought the new, you know, 911 GT3 RS track pack. Uh, when are you taking to the track? I'm not going to take it to the track. What are you doing? Well, I drive it to the office every day. Uh-huh. Right. Oh. You know, head clunking on the mm-hmm. table. But that's bragging rights. You know, some people just want to have the biggest, baddest, fastest car. It'd be like having a Shelby GT and going, I'm yeah. just dropping the kids off at school. Yes. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, they are just collector's cars. These cars would spend so much of their lives just locked mm-hmm. up in garages, you know, just being endlessly polished with a diaper, you know, and like it's just like, oh my God, really? Like, <laughs> Drive the thing, drive it, you know, but no, different horses for different courses. Yeah, it's I, whatever I guess I've, I've had mine money. twice now to the track and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I, I definitely want to do more of it and I've never done that before. Um, so I'm definitely enjoying the car from that aspect. Having a performance car is nice when you're driving on the highway and you need that extra horsepower to get around a car or get you in or out of trouble, depending on what you're doing. It also makes a good impression when you're, I was just at a car meet a couple of days ago with a, a bunch of people and, uh, you know, I mean, there were gasoline cars there, but another gentleman approached me and had a whole bunch of questions. And I said, you know what? Talk is cheap. Let's go for a ride. And nice. the car makes a damn good impression, yeah. you know, when you do that kind of thing. So for me, I mean, that's, I mean, it's not like, it's not about referrals or anything like that. It's just, the, it's about spreading, you know, the love of, if you will. And, um, and like I said, the car makes a good impression for that. I mean, it's. An, and, I, and I think the experience for those novice drivers um, is really, it doesn't matter what trim you get in. I mean, a performance car will certainly blow your hair back or in some cases, you know, just your head. Um, but it, but it is at least you, you can get in my, you know, arrow wheel, 18 inch, you know, 
baseline rear-wheel drive Model 3 and have the same euphoria just from sitting as a passenger like wow this thing really goes I'm like yeah and that's the thing you know just it's the thrill of just the ride just get into any tesla and see where it goes even an sr plus will make a very good impression on people because people are not used yeah. to seeing that kind of torque mm -hmm. right all that torque with no sound yeah. is what really disconnects yeah. your brain you're like you're trying to figure out you know joe rogan was the best description ever of tesla acceleration he says it just feels like something's wrong <laughs> like you're just <laughs> through space with no sound you don't understand it you know, like Absolutely. it just mm -hmm. well there you go we've had our discussion about about that whole thing um i want to give you guys a little bit of an update uh, the uh, berlin gigafactory is continuing to be built um our friends over in Germany, uh, I think there's no less than about five teams of people over there flying drones almost on a daily basis. This is the latest video that I got from the uh, from the guys at uh, Tobias Lint on his YouTube channel here. He did a time lapse. This was taken literally one day ago, and it shows the, I think it's the drive train, the drive unit um uh, building or whatever. Anyways, the roof is starting to go on. The trusses are there in place. They're starting to put the side panels up. So anyways, they're uh, they're really moving along. I'll put a link in the video description. You guys could definitely go and check it out. I don't want any copyright claims here, but uh, they did let me uh, uh, use the video if I so choose. But anyways, um, go and check it out. It's looking really good. They're, they're really moving along. Unfortunately, I don't have any uh, videos or anything like that of uh, what's going on at the Gigafactory in Austin. But uh, as soon as we start getting drone footage from that, right now they're just... They're still clearing the land, so there's no uh, official buildings going up. So once we actually start seeing that, we'll uh, we'll start talking about that a little bit more. But things are moving along very nicely. All right, last article before we get into um, viewer-listener questions. Uh, this article comes to us courtesy of our friends at Tasmanian. Woohoo! Looks like the uh, large single casting machine for the Model Y is has been installed in Fremont and is uh, going to be going online very shortly. No timeline given. Elon did get onto Twitter and say it's going to be really, really impressive. Uh, matter of fact, it's going to do more than just the rear casting. Apparently, it's going to do the crash bar in the back as well. So... Hmm. A little bit more than the, than we know. But anyways, huge machine. By the way, should mention that uh, according to the plans that I saw fairly recently, of course, things are changing a little bit, uh, the Gigafactory in Berlin is going to have eight of these things. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I uh, don't know how many Austin's going to have, but I would surmise probably at least eight as well. So big, big machine. One of the largest casting machines in the world. Um, Ian, I see you stuck an article on here. Clean your radiator and AC condenser. We might as well talk about Ian's. You put out a video or was it a series of tweets there, buddy? What was that all about? It was both. I, I did a little tweet thread with uh, a two-part video showing the problem, and I got a couple of comments back. People wanted me to just give a, um, a little bit more elaboration on the show this week to talk about it because it seems to have struck a nerve. Um, what I had noticed happening over the last, uh, I guess, ever since we came back from the lightning run mm -hmm. was that um, once, the weather, once the warmer weather hit, the car's fans seemed to be working a lot harder yeah. than they had the previous summer. And at first I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's normal. You know, like we've been setting these record temperatures. That's all it is. But no, like even on days where it's not super hot, like 25 degrees C, you know, like or, you know, upper 70s Fahrenheit. And I'd pull into my garage and the fans, it would be howling, like shrieking, you know, like a vacuum cleaner. And I was like, what the hell is this? So I finally decided to... Um, to look into it, um, car went into um, Tesla to get a regular uh, regulator change in the window, and I asked them about it. And they're like, "No, we've never had a problem with this. And if there was a problem with the cooling system, it would trigger an alert. You know, we'd see it in your 
in your logs or whatever. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. I said, okay, took it on faith. And then, you know, a week later, it's still doing this, even on cool days. I'm thinking, okay, let's take it apart. So um, there's a gentleman, I want to quote his name correctly. I think it was um, Mountain Ranger was a fellow. Yeah, um, Tesla Tips by MTN Ranger on YouTube, who just a couple of weeks ago put out a, a really nice little video, a little how-to, how you take out the front liner and then you can um, yeah, unclip. Easy. Yeah, you just unclip the the radiator and condenser shroud and you can peer in there and you can see if you've got gunk on your uh, AC condenser and the radiator. And mine was caked full of it. Trev, maybe you can do a couple of screen caps from the yeah, video. Just I've got show. Right, yeah, I've got it up right now. There you go. Man, so, like, it's I really dirty. It was, it was like literally caked, like the upper half of the AC condenser was completely clogged, like no air was going through there at all, you know, and um, the, um, oh, the, wow. the radiator heat exchanger wasn't so bad, but you can clearly see, and there was, because one is on top of the other, the big problem is they sit only about 30 degrees off the horizontal. They're very, very laid back, you know, they're very reclined units. So if any debris gets in there, it tends to stay trapped. It can't kind of naturally fall down or blow out as it would, you know, in an ice car where the radiator tends to be vertical. So it, the design by nature tends to trap stuff in there. And I think in my case, it was just I've done so many long, high-speed highway runs in really bad weather throughout two consecutive winters that it was uh, residue of salt and sand and just muck that had built up a layer on top of it. Anyway, in a matter of seconds, just blasting it out with a common garden hose, I, I managed to dislodge all of the leaves and sand and everything else. Took the car out for a test drive, night and day. Really? Night and day. Yeah, the car's efficiency has improved, and I barely ever hear the fans now. Like, nothing. Very nice. And a few people have, have done the same procedure and reported the same improvement. So if you live, I would think, more in northern climates where there's a lot of, you know, abrasives yeah. and things you use the road in winter. Or if you've, you know, if you're in an area that's extremely dusty and gets, you know, rainstorms or a lot of mud. Anywhere where there's a chance for stuff to cake itself. <laughs> Dirty Tesla radiator. in Michigan <laughs> on his dirt yeah. road. <laughs> yeah, he chimed in on that thread, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think next up to check that. But yeah, yeah just if, if you're in northern climes, any kind of a messy road weather conditions um have a look at it um it's probably worthwhile and you'll you'll save yourself some energy and uh, you'll uh, you'll have a much quieter running car speaking of which i should actually make a mention of this um have you pulled the rear diffuser off the back of your car yet i'm too afraid to <laughs> i'm sure there's 400 pounds of gravel in oh, there oh <laughs> yes i installed um an eco hitch for someone who lives nearby as a favor and they had their car for about mm, just over year and a half i guess um didn't do anything spectacular didn't go for you know dirty drives or anything like that the car was fairly clean and of course i had to pull the rear bumper off you know to install this up man there must have been 30 pounds worth of dirt and crud in there and it's a common thing most people who have taken it apart or have done any kind of undercoating obviously you take that thing off a lot of dirt and debris in there so yes if you live in the northern climates um you might want to hose that off, take it off somehow, because you'll be surprised how much extra weight you're dragging around just just from that. Uh, it's pretty bad. So yeah, um, I'm going to do it next spring. <laughs> Probably too early for me to do it now. But yeah, don't be surprised if you see a lot of stuff in there. Well, listen, I mean, in a couple of weeks, I'm starting my deck construction. I need a little backfill. So maybe I'll dump that out and get <laughs> half a ton from the guy bringing the gravel in. You know? uh, that's, that's funny. Yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's what we have for articles at this point. I thought was kind of relevant. There was a bunch of news and stuff, but it, you know, it, unless it's late breaking, it's not really worth talking about. So, 
we'll uh, skip some of that stuff. But uh, anyways, we'll uh, take this opportunity. We'll get to some viewer listeners and questions, uh, viewer, viewers and listener questions. Thank you. I have to say that because we, we get, we publish the podcast in an audio format and we also put a YouTube thing out there. So I got to make sure I cover both, right? Because people are like, what are you talking about viewers for, right? I only listen to you in the car. Yeah, we have a YouTube channel. Go subscribe. We put our videos there. All right. Hey, pro tip. You can also watch the video in the car. That's true. That's true. Yes. TeslaOwnersOnline.com. Go search for it in your YouTube channel. Subscribe to it, and you can watch it in the car. I actually do. I, I actually watch myself once in a while. Not because of vanity. It's just I'm always looking for the mistakes I made so I can improve Right. Later. Sure mm. it is. Okay. It's true. It's true. It's true. Fine Lab has aligned protective coatings that were engineered to protect your Tesla's paint, leather, carpet, plastic, and wheels, effectively blocking all those UV rays and environmental factors before they ever get to ruin your brand new baby. Fine Lab offers a complete line of car care products and ceramic coatings for both the do-it-yourselfer and professional detailers. Did we mention we also have the world's first self-healing coating? Check us out at finelab.com, that's spelled F-E-Y-N-L-A-B, to see the science behind the self-healing. Check out our product catalog and click contact us for a free quote from a certified installer in your area. Fine Lab and Tesla, we were meant for each other. First question comes from uh, from Neil. Nile, Nile, it's Nile. See, I have a friend of mine. He pronounces he he spells his name the same way, but he he says it's Neil. So yeah. all right, well, just, we, just, we'll go so, with Nile. So Nile, so Nile will tell you he wrote the pronunciation he as did. part of his name he so did. that you know how to pronounce it. So I here do. I, I am just let I'm letting you know. It's all good. I Nile. have it here on screen. Anyway, so he says the regen on my 2020 SR Plus massively reduced on uh, firmware 24.6.9, improved slightly with 28.6, but I still use my brakes more than before. Has anyone else reported this issue? Not to my knowledge. I'm kind of wondering, Niall, um, I don't know. You might want to check this. Um, I don't know if you use Easy Entry or not. Remember, Easy Entry is another driver profile that when you unbuckle, it switches to. A lot of the settings for regen and all that stuff is also stored in a different profile. So there's a possibility when you're flipping between the two that it's either sticking one way or coming back the way you don't expect. We're back. I had a little technical difficulties with my headphones. All right. So yeah, Neil, double check. Or Niall, definitely check those settings. I apologize. Uh, all right. Second question comes from Dave Brown. He says, does buying a Model Y make financial sense if I have a used car worth 20000 bucks?" Well, I don't know. That's... That's an interesting question where we have approximately 16% of the information needed <laughs> to make that determination. It's how far do you drive every day? You know, like, um, is your used car paid off? Is your used car paid off? Is it in good condition? Is it waiting for a huge amount of maintenance? Yeah. On the, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of variables there, but uh, 20, 20K is a big chunk of change, you know, still, if you're, especially if you, you know, a Model Y, I'm, do we know where Dave's from? I mean, in the US, 20K versus, you know, what's what's the list price now in the US, the MSRP yeah. on, on, a, on a long range rear wheel drive? I mean, you know, you're, you're talking uh, close to a third or more of the value of the Model Y. When you factor in, you're not really going to have any gas costs. You know, your pennies per mile on the electricity. There's no maintenance afterwards. Do the do the calculation, figure it out. I mean, it's all a function of what's the payment on the Y minus, you know, or factor that in as your deposit. 
figure out what the payment on the Y is going to be, um, total up what your current cost is, uh, to Eric's point, if you've got a payment, uh, and then, of course, factor in maintenance, because especially if you've got a car that's a few years old, it's mm-hmm. out of warranty, you're going to be paying for repairs and brakes and shocks and all the rest of it. That goes up pretty quickly. And it's one of these insidious things that just kind of gets, oh, yeah, we have to pay for this thing. But people don't tabulate that stuff correctly, and it winds up costing you a lot more in the long run than you think so. Uh, you but, have to but, sit down and run the numbers. But 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 the enjoyment, the enjoyment. Well, there's also there's also the part of do you go with long range? Like, do you wait for the long range model, which would be less expensive than the ones coming out today? Now your car will depreciate in value until such time. But it are you, is your overall savings going to be greater because you're getting a car that maybe is like twelve thousand dollars less than what it is today, or ten thousand? You know, any savings in that regard will offset probably whatever losses you have on your $20,000 used car. So it really comes down to the math, as Ian pointed out. And honestly, it does take time. Really think about every expense you have that's just specifically about your car. You know, right now, you can look at gas prices sort of fluctuating, and now they're kind of going up again a little bit. We had a nice downturn in terms of pricing because of COVID, but now people are starting to travel a bit more because they're going back to work or they're going to travel to, you know, parks and RVs and what have you. And so prices are now going up again. So, you know, average out over the last six months, what has gas been? Then figure out what your average commute is and, you know, kind of go from there. I mean, even if a car sits in your garage and never gets driven, it's losing value. So it doesn't matter how much mileage you have on it. It's not going to be worth more because it's got lower mileage six months from now. It's still going to be aged a certain number. So unless you have a, you know, a collection car or something like that, uh, you know, if you have a a family sedan or something like that, it's just going to, going to continue losing value. So it, it's it's a good question to ask, Dave. It's a lot of questions we get asked all the time um, from owners like, do I go with this car? If there's a need for a new car and you're interested in getting an electric vehicle, it almost sort of makes sense. It will pay off for itself in about three to five years. Mm-hmm. So take it from there. Speaking of which, the uh, scuttlebutt going around on the availability of a long range Model Y is uh, sometime mid next month is supposedly mm-hmm. when production might begin. Mm-hmm. So if anybody is looking at uh, at that, yeah. Um, yeah, you don't have to wait much longer for, for a car like that. Yeah. And the other thing, too, uh, to Ian's point about Dave not showing where you live, it may be where you're at. If it's in the United States, you might live in a state where there's EV incentives yeah. where you might get That's some true. credit or some savings there. Uh, or you live in a country, if it's not the U.S., where there may be local uh, you know, incentives for that. So take all those into consideration when you're looking at your pricing because uh, again, there might be some extra savings that you probably don't know about. You know, I'm kind of wondering if I should add uh, on the form that people fill in, where are you from? <laughs> Maybe that might help. Yes, it, it would be important for a lot of these yeah. questions. I'll, I'll do that for the next show so we know where people are coming from because we get questions from all over the world, but not everybody tells us exactly where they're coming from. We do appreciate when you tell us, but if you don't, you know, it helps out. All right, next question comes from Seamus. Says, do you guys know of any way when the tri- when the driver gets out of the car that the passenger can still have the radio and air conditioning on? AC, yes. Yes. So there's there's two options for keeping the the climate control on when you exit the vehicle, especially if you have a, a Model Three with your phone as your primary key. Uh, the two things you can do is one, uh, you can set dog mode. Uh, number two, you can also just keep the cabin temperature on. So there's right. there's two different settings for that. Dog mode's probably the one you're going to want to use. It's hilarious because you'll see on the screen, owners can be right back. Don't be offended. Um, but that's the setting you can use. Now, the third thing you can do, and I don't think a lot of owners know this. So here's a third option. Don't use your phone to unlock your car. Use your key card. Yeah. 
if you use your key card and exit the vehicle, unless you use the card to lock it again, the car remains unlocked and won't lock automatically. So whatever key you use to unlock the car is what will then lock the car when you exit it. So if your phone unlocks the car, then when you leave the car, your phone's no longer in it, it's gonna lock the vehicle. That's your walk away lock. Um, you can also turn that off, but again, the car will still shut off at that point. But if you use your key card, like if you're traveling with your wife in this case, and by the way, he's in Ireland. If you uh, travel with your wife to the store, run errands, whatever it is, and you have your key card, use your key card to unlock the vehicle. That way, if your wife wants to stay behind the car, everything for her remains on. Then when you get home, just make sure you, if you're going to both leave, just make sure you use the key card uh, or from your phone, use the app to remotely lock your vehicle. That'll help. The other thing, if I'm not mistaken, is if, someone you know if the driver leaves the vehicle and the car shuts off the passenger can still tap the screen and everything should come back on seems to me um, prior to me leaving climate on that's what Brigitte used to do is just tap the screen and should get the radio back the AC back so even if the car is off if someone is still inside the car and you tap the main screen things should go live again mm -hmm. sometimes it does I will tell you having sat at charging stations like DC stations um, mm -hmm. The screen will eventually over time want to shut down, kind of go into a power save mode. And I, there are times I've tapped the screen and it's unresponsive. I'd have to really? literally hop. I'd have to get in the seat and depress the brake pedal to basically turn the car back on. So it does depend on circumstances. There are times where it will not turn back on just by tapping the screen. So just be conscious of that. Yeah, it might be a time delay thing. Maybe within mm -hmm. the first 30 seconds or a minute, you can reactivate it. And after mm -hmm. that, it's out. Yeah, but the, I think the easiest thing is either use dog mode, which is what most people are doing, or use that key car trick. That'll definitely keep the car unlocked and, and the AC on. Good tips. All right, let's follow along here. Next question is Rick in Edmonton. Thank you for telling us you're from, Rick. All right, why doesn't Tesla ask the lesser to, and he's talking about leasing the car here, why doesn't Tesla ask the lesser to install and maintain a couple of garbage bins at the supercharging stations, um, how do we direct such questions to Tesla? Oh, okay. Now he's talking about the owner, wherever the it's owner, the where the supercharger because the property, Tesla, the property, the owner. property owners, yeah. yes, because Tesla leases those those parking spots in the land to put those uh, cars on. Um, yeah, I know it's a constant problem because we've seen many, many cases. People go to supercharge, and we're assuming that it's the Tesla owners. It may not always be the case, but they leave the garbage out, and they, they you know, they get out, of, they open the door, and just leave the garbage there. There's nothing um, to put it, um, put the garbage away. I know for us here in Ontario, uh, these uh, Ontario Tesla Owners Club has paid for a bin to be installed in exactly one location. And the reason was one location, first of all, it's a pilot. And second of all, it was the only one that could get an agreement between Tesla and the lesser. In this case, it was some kind of hotel, I think it is, um, where somebody would take responsibility to actually empty it. And that's, you know, the hotel at this point. So, but having said that, even though I went and supercharged there this past week, it was, there was garbage all over the place. Anyways, people are just being animals you know, coffee cup on the ground. I saw a mask on the ground for crying out loud. I mean, mm -hmm. so yeah, it would be great if we had windshield wiper fluid in buckets. It would be great if we had garbage bins, um, all kinds of amenities. But the problem is who's going to maintain all this stuff? I mean, are we going to have right. a cadre of, of owners going around and maintaining all this stuff? I mean, who has time for that type of thing? And yeah, but I, it's, it's one of those things. I think if, if that's something you're interested in, I would say, Contact your local Tesla uh, owner's club 
and there's one in almost every state now, and, or province for that matter, and talk to them about doing some kind of uh, a, adopt a supercharger or something like that, and then um, and see where it leads you. I know in our case, like I said, we only got one installation. They'd like to do more, but it's 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 a fight to try to get everybody to agree who's going to be responsible for it, right? Because otherwise, it's just well, it's not going to get used properly, or it's not going to be taken care of properly. I'm also pretty disappointed that owners let that happen. Like, you know, you're, you're not at a supercharger for two hours. You're, this is not a destination charger. So ideally you're there for, you know, 10, 20, 30 yeah. minutes at, at a time. Um, you know, to me, it just be conscientious. If if uh, the nearest trash can is a little bit of a short distance away, go go actually find the, the can and throw it out. Um, but you're, you're doing a disservice to a lot of people, especially if, if you're part of a community that's trying to be advocates for the environment you know you're not just driving the car because it's a cool factor you're driving it in part because you want to make the earth a better place you're trying to cool our climate down because <laughs> uh, we, we're, we're seeing record temperatures around the world california is practically on fire with the apple fire it's all kinds of stuff right so what good is it if you're like eh, take this plastic bottle and chuck it out my window save it yeah. till you get home get get a small plastic bag in your car you can always put your trash there like just use your heads. It, 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 Trevor's right. You can certainly look at you know sponsorships or or adopt a station if you want to do that. But I also personally don't want to have to go and clean everything up. We have enough adopt a road programs across North America, right? Because we're disgusting human beings who just keep throwing crap out because we figure, oh my car's nasty, so let's just go ahead and you know ruin the planet. Um, I'm not trying to get on my high horse here, but like, it's not hard to just hold trash until you get home in 30 minutes or your next rest stop or something like that. Like I just, it doesn't make any sense. Why, why make this someone else's responsibility? It's your responsibility. Oh, You're yeah, the owner. Hold your trash for until you have a place to dispose it properly. Make, make it fun. Pretend you're on a space mission. You have to do like the astronauts. You got to compartmentalize it all and bring it with you. <laughs> yeah. Or until you get like a resupply mission where you can put it inside yeah, the capsule. People... And they, they... But right exactly. now, a lot of the Tesla owners would rather dump it overboard. I know. I know. No. Bad pun. All right. All right. Moving along, next question comes from Chantel. It says, my car is parked outside. I had 193 events the first night I activated Century Mode, but only five the next night. Is it possible that entry mo uh, Century Mode can learn from its environment to determine genuine threats? Well, anything's possible. 193. Um, I'm kind of wondering, did you park? Nine, did, 93. Uh, yeah, 90, 93. Did, I'm kind of wondering if she parked somewhere where there was maybe a lot of traffic because, I mean, cars, movement, everything triggers it. So I can give you a good example, Trev, and it blew my mind. I had the almost the same thing. It was like between 80 and 90 events when I had parked uh, at a friend's place in front of their tempo, you know, like one of those just sort of material over the over the driveway um, protective covers, you know, for yeah, yeah. to keep the snow off the car's winter. And one of the vinyl flaps on the side of the thing triggered had come. It. Yeah. So it was just flapping in the breeze and it just constantly triggered it. I had like two hours of this thing flapping on video and sentry mode. It was crazy. I think, I think you're, you're, what you're leading to there, Ian, is also a good point, which is look at the video. If you're record, if you're recording on your, on your flash drive, your thumb drive, go back and look at the video and see what's happening. If you're, if one camera catches, you know, let's say one of your neighbors, uh, if you know, if she lives in an apartment development or something like that, let's say people were kind of passing through through unloading and unloading their car, 
uh, for groceries or whatever, or maybe there's uh, tenants are moving in that day and just they're passing by your vehicle. There's a number of things that could have such discrepancies from one to the next day. Um, I know the next question we have from uh, Renee is very similar, which is, you know, she's asking, is Century Mode known for logging hundreds of events in a non-traffic area? There are so many environmental factors that play into what the cameras catch that triggers an event. Um, it's no different than if you're, to get kind of geeky here, if you're building a website and uh, you're looking at different measurables for tracking data, all of a sudden you can see a spike in numbers where like did all of a sudden a high usage rate come in for something? And you're trying to figure out what, what triggered that, what led to that? Was it uh, all of a sudden a site pushing a link out and that drew a lot of traffic? There's, there's all ways of looking at different data points and analysts love doing that because we try to figure out the problem when we see the end result. We're trying to go back in time to see what happened. Censure mode is kind of the same way, which is when all these events are happening, Next day, you have a very minute number by comparison, and you wonder, did the car learn something? The actual answer is no. It's more just what can the cameras capture? I'm not kidding. I know someone who had shadows. Their cameras kept catching shadows on the ground. So it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't an actual object that close, but it was something close enough that the camera said, oh, I detect movement, and it, yeah. and it kind of went. So there's a number of things at play, but if you do have video, just if you get a chance, go back and look at the, when you see a high number of incidents, go back and look at the video. Even if it's only for 20, 30 minutes worth of time, see what happens. Maybe that might explain why you're seeing a high rate of incidents on one day and a very low event the next. Also to go back on the question, uh, could the system be trained to be better? I'm sure it can. It's just like, well, what are you training it against? Like, I mean, what, what do you constitute something you want to record? Like one person's idea of being valuable is not necessarily right. the next one. So I think in this case, Tesla's just saying, you know what, any movement, we just record it. Yeah. Cause you can imagine like, let's suppose you, you lived in a neighborhood that lots, lots of dogs and cats running around and that was triggering it all the time. Well, if one of them jumped on the hood of my car, I would want to know. <laughs> yeah. Like Fido down or Fido's owner more precisely. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, you think, well, maybe we'd have to train it out. But mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, the flapping of, you know, anything in the breeze, like a tree branch or like what I described, you know, like this panel off of this, this, this vinyl flap thing. There's, there's so many things. I mean, you talk about edge cases in the road for training autopilot. Can you imagine the edge cases for stuff that trigger sentry mode? Mm. I, I, that'd be a tough one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, let's see here. What do we got here? Next question comes from Bill's Bill. Bill, he says, if I purchase a Tesla in Windsor, Ontario, where do I go for service? Well, Bill, you have two choices. One of them, Tesla's putting a lot of focus on mobile service. So unless your car needs something major done, mobile service will come to you. You're certainly within that area that they would come in and take care of you. Otherwise, your closest service station in Canada uh, will be Kitchener, Ontario. If that doesn't work for you, then you would have to go to Oakville. Right now, there's nothing um, close to you directly. Um, I don't think there's one in London, but I could be wrong. I believe the closest one is Kitchener, Ontario. For those of us geographically disinclined, roughly how far is Kitchener from where he is in uh, Windsor? In Windsor. Oh, that's a couple hour drive. Okay. Yeah, it's a long stretch. If you look at the map uh, at Windsor to civilization, other than Detroit on the other side, <laughs> is is quite a ways. Yeah, and, and he loves Windsor, by the way. He's not he's not dangerous. He's not being not, not no. Nice it's to just kind of no man's land. Windsor. You know, like you're right there, right beside Detroit, across you know the bridge, and then there's nothing until you get to London, and then <laughs> yeah. the next one's Kitchener and stuff. So yeah, it's it's a fairly long stretch to. Uh, 
to travel. But uh, anyways, don't worry about it, Bill. Uh, Tesla has you covered on the mobile service aspect of things. Um, and trust me, when you experience mobile service, you'll love it. You'll never want to go back to anything mm -hmm. else. So. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Let's see here where we are with questions. Uh, a couple left. Yeah. Okay. Very good. We got Dr. Oscar. Who Dr. Wants Oscar. To is, is FSD transferable from one Tesla vehicle to another for the same owner? The answer is no. Uh, we get this question quite a bit. Um, FSD yes. is a bit of a confusing thing because of the fact that you can purchase it after the fact and not have to bring in your car for a retrofit or anything like that because it's just software. It's software as a service. The thing is, and I know a lot of people want this, is for it to be transferable because let's say... Well, let's face it, uh, most of the promises of FSD are not even here yet. So a lot of people say, well, maybe I'll sell my Tesla now. I go buy, these flies are flying around. They're driving me crazy. Sorry. I was going to say, you've had a lot of them on your camera. Oh my gosh. That. I don't know where the hell they came from. Anyway, um, yeah, so my point is, is, like, I buy a Tesla now. I buy FSD on it. It's still not there. By the time I sell the car, if they're not still not there, I have to pay for it again if I get another car. So a lot of mm -hmm. people want it to be transferable. I get that. But unfortunately, it's a feature of the car. So when you buy it, it's stuck to the car, not yeah. to the um, not to the owner. So yeah. it's not transferable. A way, a way to think about it is we're so used to, like with mobile devices, if I buy an app for my Android or Apple device, what likely happens is if I go get a new upgrade, I just go to my account in the store, I can download the app again because I've already paid yeah. for it. Well, your car is different. So even though it's a software, it is still a feature of the car, not of the account holder. That's true. So anything you buy, if you were to change the wheels, if you do any modifications you make to your car when you're customizing it in the configurator, or if after delivery you do aftermarket modifications, they're on the car. You can't just go, hey, you know what? I want those tires taken back and off my account. They're on the car. So your software as a service solutions like autopilot and many others, that's that's built into your car. Those are non-transferable. Yeah. However, there may be some light at the end of the tunnel when Tesla does offer some kind of subscription service. Now, at that point, we don't know if it's a subscription service on a per car basis or in the account basis. Mm -hmm. So it remains to be seen. But um, when they do deliver that and they said that they will, um, maybe they'll change their policies. But for right now, yeah, if you buy it, it's tied to the car. And just so we're clear, when you sell the car privately, the FSD will go with it. The new owner does get the FSD. Yep. However, if you trade the car in through Tesla, it would seem their new policy is they deactivate a lot of these features, and then the new owner buying the car has to buy them again. So Of course. <laughs> why not? Why hey? <laughs> why would car? you give away free money? Of would course. Take, right? Would Tesla giveth, Tesla will taketh. <laughs> it's exactly. software. They can just uninstall yeah yes. exactly all right you guys got a little bit of a sneak preview the last question comes from manny in australia thank you manny uh why doesn't tesla offer a professional sports track package for model 3 performance with trim uh trim with wheels brake suspension other power options instead of just deferring to the aftermarket options well manny i don't know if you're aware of this but tesla does offer a track package for the performance model 3 which is a combination of uh, better brake fluid uh, some brake pads and the zero g wheels with uh sport pilot sport, sport s or the cup 
Transport cup. Oh, the cup, the even better tires. Yeah. So there is that package. Now, as far as other things that Tesla could offer, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they could. It's just like, uh, you know, how, what kind of resources does Tesla have? I will say that uh, there are some great companies out there, aftermarket, that you can get some really great performance stuff. Uh, Unplug Performance and uh, Mountain Pass Performance are a couple of companies that come to mind, uh, both sponsors of ours. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. Um, offer some really great products for that type of thing. And the thing about the Model 3 there's no shortage of of things that people can do. Matter of fact, I just saw a tweet and a post there from today from our friends at Unplugged Performance. They have they have really, really cool upper control arms for the Model 3 that are totally wow. adjustable. Did you see those, Ian? I drool over them every time I go to the site. <laughs> I so badly want those. Yes, I know. A lot of people are ogling over those because it seems that uh, we're still seeing failures on the upper control arms, the front upper control arms on uh Yeah, I've had mine changed. Yeah. yeah the, joints, so, the joints start to get a little a little. Yeah, squeaky. I'm not, I'm not I, looking forward to that. It's one of my only beefs owning the performance car is that when I look at what the car costs and I look at the competitors, you know, like something like an Audi S4 or BMW M3 or, you know, um, a C-Class AMG from Mercedes, these cars have way more bespoke engineering and parts in them, you know, like from the interiors, like just the seats alone. Those cars have proper sports seats you can go to the track in. Yeah. You know, if you don't cinch your seatbelt properly, the standard Model C3 uh, in the in the Model 3 will try to kill you going around the track. <laughs> it just has no lateral support. It's a fantastic everyday seat. So never mind, you know, the suspension and everything else. That's the first thing I would want to see. But uh, the way Tesla operates, everything is super high volume. And keep the cars as similar as possible. So I think, given all of those constraints, they've done a tremendous job with the Performance Model Three. I think this um, latest offering of the zero G wheels with the performance brake pads and fluid goes a long way to addressing the primary failure. Was even though the the, the P three D has better brakes if you have the the upgrade brake package, they're still not sufficient for the track. The pads and the fluid for most you know fun club drivers is going to solve that problem. But yeah, the suspension. Sure, they tweaked the rates slightly and, and the springs slightly, but they're still very street oriented. You know, it would be nice if they offered a, a true sports suspension package again, like the other, you know, luxury performance car guys do. I think in time they'll get there, you know, they'll, but right now it's all about streamlining, you know, like keep it simple, stupid. They really uh, the number one thing I want to do to my car, if there's any kind of mods, that would be just a quick swap out of some stainless steel brake lines for the front rotors, for the front brakes. Yeah, that's little, on my short list. Yeah, they're pretty spongy. So the the other thing too is there is quite a bit of pedal deflection just because the firewall itself and the mounting point for the master cylinder uh, is not famously strong. You'd never notice this in street driving, but when you take the car to the track, you can actually feel it flex. And Mountain Pass Performance makes a fantastic just piece of this. Yeah, that brake. So mm -hmm. yeah, go to their site. Just look up the the Model Three um, brake brace. It's only about a two hundred dollar item or something like that, yeah. and it apparently dramatically improves uh, mm -hmm. the solidity of the brake and the, the feel of the brakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that might be something I might put in my car too. I have to talk to Sasha about that. Also on my short list. <laughs> so I I mean the other way you got to look at it. I mean if you go look at Porsche's website, I mean they have a huge amount because you know they build sports cars. That's what they do, right? They have a huge amount of upgrades and things you put in the cars. But, I mean, you'll have a heart attack looking at the prices. Um, do yeah. we really want Tesla to be offering all those kind of upgrades at the prices that Tesla's known for? I would, personally, I would rather defer to the third-party markets because it's nice to support the smaller companies, and they tend to be a little bit better priced anyways. As long as Tesla is okay with it. Yeah. I mean, the general 
feel I get from them is like, obviously, they're not going to warranty your aftermarket suspension components themselves, but it doesn't look like they're um, being too particular about it affecting anything else. You know, you see so many cases where manufacturers, OEMs say, hey, you changed this part of your suspension, we're voiding the entire warranty on your car. Mm -hmm. Of course, in North America, you can't do that. There's legislation to protect the consumer. But I mean, for people that don't know this, I mean, it's pretty shocking. It's (laughs) like, oh my God, I lost my warranty. If you don't challenge them on this, and sometimes you have to go to court over it, it's a huge pain. Tesla so far seems to be good about it, but they're slowly going in a direction which is kind of freaking me out. I mean, the most uh, obvious one I've seen so far is the new uh, TPMS sensors in the Model Y or Bluetooth, right? Yeah. And I got it from some insiders that apparently the encryption of these things Uh-oh. is super intense and it doesn't look like anybody in the aftermarket is going to be able to duplicate them. And apparently if you even tried to breach the security to get in there to, to create an aftermarket unit, uh, Tesla has some sort of a patent where you're not, they, they could go after you. So it looks like the aftermarket is totally going to walk on these things. Oh. So if that's the way of the future, it looks like they might be trying to close things down. I hope that's an isolated case. I don't uh. think that speaks to a larger program. But I really hope they keep an open mind because the one thing I can tell you working in the aftermarket is the companies who get long-term success and loyalty from the owners are the ones that are accepting and, and work with the aftermarket. You know, I think um, in the U.S., the big three have been fantastic at that. You look at Ford, GM, uh, Chrysler over the years, the reason, especially with their trucks, they've had such incredible customer loyalty is because they work hand-in-hand with the aftermarkets. They give prototype vehicles to the aftermarket companies so they can build bed liners and the tubes and you know all the, all the stuff mm-hmm. to work work with trucks. And I'd like Tesla to kind of go in that direction where they they recognize that the aftermarket is an integral part of the experience for the owner. That the Cybertruck, they're going to have to do that. Oh, you know, gosh. there's going to be so much demand to create accessories for it. And I hope they take sort of um you know an uh, an open-hearted view towards it. Why I know do you um, think they haven't done that now. Well, I think they have. Like I said, I haven't heard of anybody having any real problems with, you know, like I know with people going in with aftermarket wheels, I've heard they make you sign a waiver in case, you know, you have different nuts or lug nuts or something like that. You know, they don't want to be responsible if something goes wrong. I understand that. That's okay. But they haven't frowned upon it. I haven't heard anything, but, you know, and they've gone so far as to give us the ability to reprogram the tire pressure, you know, or, or for different tire sizes and things like that. So, so far, they're headed in the right direction. I just, but I, but I think there's there's a, a distinct difference uh, to your example of where the big three essentially are giving away, like here, go use this. Like we know that Apple gives out their their schematics to third party companies that they are in business with. Uh, you know, I want to use the language they're in cahoots with, right? Because they're like, how does an iPhone case? come out weeks before the phones ever in in in, in a public yeah. hand because Leaks right happen. so a lot of a lot of third party companies and i'm certainly speaking you know uh with uh, apropos of nothing but just there are a lot of companies that they have to wait till they get their hands on the cars before they even begin building prototypes for products they're going to build so i mean it could be that there's a manufacturer that oh we've had this legacy s and x product Let's say with the new, let's say there's a new interior or something else. Well, it may not be till the plaid cars are deliverable that whatever changes they've made, we can't, you know, you can't get something that's in there. So it's it's interesting that they're not saying, hey, you guys can't do that, but they're not embracing them by saying, here's the data you need yeah. to build the product for this new seat design or this new trunk configuration or whatever. Like it's they once the cars are in the market, then people can begin. 
But a lot of those companies have to buy a car or ask someone to come bring the car to their shop to do any of that stuff, which to me is not really what I consider supportive. Right. Well, as long as Tesla is kind of stuck in this need to expand dramatically on creating volume and not, yeah. uh, you know, uniqueness, you know, I, I think going the way of the German companies where you have like 67 paint colors, you know, and 102 choices of the stitching for the seats like that would be suicidal at this stage. That's oh, yeah, they, they need to put rubber on the road, man. So I totally yeah. understand this. Here's your three choices. Knock yourself out. But, you know, embracing the aftermarket goes a long way towards satisfying, you know, requests like Manny's to, to get the car to do what you want it to do, you know. I mean, they give obviously enough cars for crash tests. They give car, you know, Sandy Monroe gets cars to basically disassemble piece by piece, you know, bolt by bolt. He has to buy them actually. Well, no, I know, I know, right? But, but I mean, to me, it's like the 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 good press that can come from something like that, from that yeah. teardown. Yeah. You know, it almost makes sense. Like, just you're gonna crash test these anyway. Why not just give him a car that you know he can then use or. So there, there, to me, I, maybe you're right. I mean, I think right now because of how many cars they have on the road, there's enough of them. Like you're, you're, you're not so new to the game that you can't give a couple away to people that could benefit or companies that could benefit. Um, but like I said, they're they're certainly not saying no, 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 you can't do that. But I think if you really want to help the aftermarket community, if you really want to support owners at large who do want these modifications, help the companies that have been longstanding. By maybe just going, hey, we're not going to give you a car, but here are the measurements for one, two, three, yeah. four, five. You know, give, that alone, I think, would go a long way to as the vehicles are launching into production, you know, especially when they know what the final numbers are. Now you can start building products that hopefully coincide with the launches so that people can start placing orders and get things in while the cars are being delivered. I, I truly believe and I really hope that they take that to heart for the Cybertruck because there's a huge, yeah. huge market. I mean, yeah. it's one thing to have a sedan, but when you have something like that. Especially North America that loves pickup trucks. Oh, and yeah. they're still tweaking it. Tesla has, I think Elon and, and Tesla recently had come out with a story that they are looking to still fine tune the vehicle. So even oh, yeah. the Cybertruck's not not done yet. And, um, you know, I think once they finally get like, you know, their thumbs up and it's good to go. Yeah. Why not start giving some companies the opportunity to, you know, start doing CAD designs for the wraps and all these different things. Like, let, let's get a jump start on that stuff when we can. Well, to, to me, I'll, I'll just leave it in this final thought is that I'd love to see Tesla sort of develop a partnership with some aftermarket uh, companies that, to your point, Eric, who, who've got a, um, a track record of making really good quality proven stuff. And there's a good history of this and it works really well. Look at Mercedes with AMG before they bought out AMG and it became a wholly owned subsidiary. That was an independent tuning company. But it had Mercedes blessing, you know, like they were okay with it. They worked with them, you know, for BMW, it was Alpina. You know, you have a history of these tuning companies, you know, Abarth with Fiat, you know, that eventually with the idea that they'd merge, you know, at some point. But um, I could see Tesla doing something like that, where because they don't have the resources currently and it's not really part of their core agenda, but work with an aftermarket company to mm -hmm. satisfy yeah. those owners who want a more bespoke car. That would that would be the way in for now, you know, and it would give them that one little extra bit of cachet that they're missing. Well, especially when Elon recently on Twitter had, or I think in the last calendar year, had liked some posts where, you know, people who've done body wraps mm -hmm. and other different modifications that he's retweeted or liked the yep. images so much. So they're like, yeah, look how great that is. 
um, and and maybe even incorporate that in some of their future designs that they're going to be using. So obviously the aftermarket space has been very productive in helping Tesla think about things that they might not have otherwise thought about because all of a sudden now owners go, well, look what I've, you know, look what I've done. And maybe that even encourages Tesla to increase their shop merchandise where they're adding in lowering springs or other things that mm-hmm. maybe owners could look to to go, hey, you know, I don't want to go third party. If I buy it from Tesla, I know it's under warranty. I know it's going to be covered. It could be, I can, I can take it to a service center. They can install it. So you know, there's a number of different things yeah. that can you know materialize from all of this. But um, like I said, I think, I think the least they could do is at least give some figures away for very common products that uh, can easily be turned around in a very short time for production. Absolutely. All good news on every front. Well, I think uh, that's pretty much the last of the questions for tonight, right, boys? Yes, sir. Well, there we go. Well, uh, that basically means it's the end of the show. <laughs> That's hey, how these things work out. It's been, it's been a long time, so I'm glad we could at least bring some uh, some good news to the audience today. Well, I, I we appreciate all of our listeners and viewers, um, so make sure you sign up. Hey, by the way, I should mention, if you do like the show and you're listening to it on the podcast, whatever, go to iTunes, give us a good rating, uh, leave us some feedback, whatever. We like to hear back from that. I mean, I haven't checked it in a while, but I, I'm sure people still appreciate it. So, yeah, it helps the rankings, helps the algorithm go up. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. That helps uh, the channel grow. The more eyeballs and the more ears that we get, the bigger this thing will get. And uh, we can do even bigger and better things. So with that, uh, guys, where can people have a chat with you if they want to? Uh, Eric, why don't you go first? All right. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter. The handle is ECFIX. That's E-C-F-I-X. And most importantly, I hope you and your loved ones are staying safe, feeling healthy. Uh, most of us know someone who's uh, been affected by covid uh, in more ways than just their health. Uh, but uh, most importantly, just stay safe out there, uh, adhere to your local ordinances, and uh, we'll get through this thing together. Awesome. Ian, you're up. You can find me on Twitter, at Ian Pavelko. You can also find me in the Tesla Owners Online Forum. The handle is Mad Hungarian. So if you have any technical questions, particularly when it comes to wheels, tires, and related things, I'm happy to help. Also, you can reach me through Twitter on private messages. Always happy to help people out and answer questions there. And finally, if you're looking for some uh, Tesla wear, you can uh, look up my shop on Teespring, T-E-E-Spring, all one word, dot com. The Volveware line of uh, various EV-themed Tesla shirts, always available and um, part of the profit go to great causes like Plug in America, Electromobility Canada, and uh, LAVEC, l'Association du véhicule électrique de Québec. Awesome. Well, I guess that leaves me. You can follow me on Twitter. The handle's Tesla Owners Online. Check out the forum at teslaownersonline.com. Always the best place and friendliest place to go discuss Tesla stuff. And uh, once again, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Again, just Tesla Owners Online. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening and watching, and uh, have a good one, guys. We'll see you later. I got to go kill some flies. (laughs) (laughs) 